Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mr. Speaker Speaks. You know, the podcast that informs, challenges, and inspires. It is real talk from real people about real things, and it's the show where the guests themselves really, really get to speak, and you learn a lot about them. Learn more about me on the web at VincentTEdwards.com. That's VincentTEdwards.com, and you can also join my online community at VincentOnDemand.com. That's Vincent and on demand.com where you can get exclusive access to trainings, videos, and more to help you reach your potential and move to the next level and pivot into your purpose with power and precision. My guest today is the one, the only Courtney Chapman Buford, and we're going to talk about her book today, Five Things I Wish I Knew About God When I Was a Kid. But like always here on Mr. Speaker Speaks, let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for this day, a day that we've never seen before, a day that you've allowed us to live and to praise and worship your holy name. Now, God, I just ask that you be with us during this podcast episode, that those who listen, those who watch will hear something that is life changing, thought provoking and helps them to move to the next level. I also, Lord, ask that your hand be upon my guest, Courtney, in all of her endeavors that whatever she does, that she can help to benefit the kingdom of God. And Lord, we will always give you the praise, glory and honor in Jesus name. Amen. Our scripture today, inspirational verse of scripture, comes from Psalm chapter uh, Psalm 46 and verses 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's something you ought to know about God. He is a very present help in the time of trouble, and he's a hiding place. Oh, I tell you, before I get started, I want to give a shout out to my sponsors. Today's show is brought to you in part by Serious Web Solutions. Your success is our success. Oh, for more information, visit them on the web at SeriousWebSolutions.com. That's S-I-R-I-U-S, WebSolutions.com. They specialize in web development and graphic design. Give them a call and let them know Mr. Speaker sent you. Also, you in Tallahassee, man, you ought to check out my barber, Dante, over at Blades Barbershop. He's on Lake Bradford Road, Suite 8 in Tallahassee, Florida. Blades Barbershop when you need a nice cut. Just tell Dante and the fellas there that Mr. Speaker sent you there. Oh, I tell you, looking forward to talking with my guest today, Courtney Chapman Buford. She is a native of Plant City, Florida. I believe that's the strawberry capital of the world. So I've been told she she holds a a Bachelor of Science in Philosophy and Religion from the university that sits on the highest of seven hills, Florida A&M, a Master of Arts in Ministerial Leadership from Southeastern University. And she is currently a doctoral candidate, Doctor of Ministry in Moral and injury at Oral Roberts University. She is now in the writing phase of her dissertation. She has roots in the Church of God in Christ, but she's been all over fellowshipping and networking with believers of various ethnicities and cultural backgrounds. Her love for coaching, mentorship, and kingdom discipleship drive her daily. She is a single mother, full-time student, musician, entrepreneur, and college resident director. She founded Covenant Creations, Inc., a branding and media company designed to help individuals and ministries restructure and or build an identity 
also known as CCI. They specialize in cover to close book publishing services, ministry model reconstruction, and music production. With that being said, she now resides in Lake Wells with her five-year-old son, Kyrum. Welcome, Courtney. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm going to hear that I, illustrious Mr. Speaker voice. You <laughs> get <laughs> wrapped up. <laughs> oh, I tell you, when I, grew up, when I grew up, I could be like you, all those things you're doing. <laughs> but I got a question for you. I'm just going to start out like this. You know, you know, people make choices and they have different tastes. Um, I'm just going to ask you these questions just to kick it off. Coke okay. or Sprite or Coca Pepsi? Yeah. Which which one I you like? A soda drinker, but if I had to pick, I'd pick Pepsi. You'll pick Pepsi. You like that sweet Coke. <laughs> yeah, I ain't really a soda drinker like that. But if I had to pick, I'd pick Pepsi. Coke, you know, that thing, you feel like gasoline in your chest. <laughs> I, when it comes to M&M's, you plain or peanut? Peanut. Peanut. So I, I figured yes, you sir. like, which one you like, Almond Joy or Miles? I can't eat almond joy. You don't eat almond joy? Now, that's a piece I can't of eat almonds. <laughs> you can't eat almonds. I ate them when I was little. Almond joy was good. Yeah, those things good. I, tell you, I just wanted, you know, just to kick it off, ha- have a little fun. So what was life like for you growing up in Plant City? Ooh, it was interesting. You know, uh, my dad, he worked at the rec when the biggest you know, you you meet the man that's like the community dad. That was my dad. You know, taught us how to play kickball and fumble. And he was six five. I had six five and a half, two fifty. He played basketball, so you know, you you know, you see him coming. And uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, growing up there with your dad, you like being outside all the time. That's how I got my roots in basketball um, from him. You know, playing outside when kids actually played outside. One on phones, we didn't have phones. So, you know, you play outside, you ride your bike across town and walk across town with your friends. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, life in Plant City, it was, it was fun. It was very country. My grandmama was our family cook. I lived in the house at one point with my great-grandmother, my grandmother, my mother. And uh, so, you know, what's that? Three generations, four generations of women. And I saw my grandmama cook everything my great-uncles would bring in the house, from corn to possum to uh, gopher. <laughs> gopher. <laughs> yeah, my uncle, my uncle David was uh, was our family pastor for a while. And my uncle David, he would, they, they say he would keep a sack in his car. And he would kill animals, so that's going to be some good eating tonight. <laughs> And so, you know, I had, I had, I was, I grew up very, very country. That's how people are from Plant City. And I, you probably can hear it in my twang. They say I have a little twang. <laughs> wow. But yes, sir, I grew up seeing, seeing a lot of things. But I thank God for my childhood. That's just, it was unforgettable. So I take it you can cook, man. I can cook. <laughs> I can cook anything. I cook stuff out of wheat. I cook everything. I cook eggs every type of way. I cook steak every type of way. And I don't particularly eat either one of those. Um, but yeah, my grandmama, I just, I learned how to cook gator. Yeah. I cook all that. Wow. <laughs> You'll see that in, in, in young women hardly no more, but I can cook all that. Uh, hey, that, hey, you got some good home training. Cause you know, it ain't, it ain't that microwave stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, you, you ain't no, no Velveeta's with me. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, you could throw down on some real mac and cheese. Yeah. Some real mac and cheese. Oh. Yes, sir. Uh, greens. That's my favorite. Collards. I like collards. I'm a collard. I'm a collard girl. 
Wow. So what um, brought you to FAMU um, to go to school? I, uh, well, how do I get to FAMU? Really? You know, it's funny. I said I would never go to FAMU because everybody in my family went to FAMU. <laughs> Except my mama. My mama went to UF. She was a Gator. And yes, my sir. Was, was, was a Seminole. She uh, spent some time in Watson too, but I ended up uh, like my great uncles. They all went to fam. I had two who played football at Cookman, uh, but they all went to fam. Two of my uncles are in the athletic hall of fame um, at FAMU. They played football there, but I, um, I said I would never go, and the Lord just routed me to FAMU, and uh, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it. I loved it. That's probably my favorite collegiate experience. Was up there on the highest of seven hills. Pick one that you can talk about. What is one of your favorite college experiences that you had while at the Florida A&M University, the highest of Ooh. seven hills? One of my, you know, this is funny. <laughs> I'll pick something that people probably wouldn't pick. My first day, I was there. It was a Tuesday. It was the middle of the day, and. uh School was getting out. I mean, uh, classes were getting lit out, and I was standing right in front of Lee Hall, and I was surrounded <laughs> by a sea of suits. <laughs> and I saw men of every color, shade, dread, spades, goals, no goals, everybody in a suit and tie. And that thing enamored me. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I was enamored as a young black woman. I'm like, where are they going? I mean, it was all fine. <laughs> because I didn't, I hadn't, I attended a junior college prior to that. So I hadn't really seen that. So I'm like, what is this? I That is the most memorable moment I have at FAMU was my first day. When I saw them let, and they were getting out, let out of SBI forum. That was it for me. I said, oh yeah, I'm at home. State of brothers and suits. Oh Lord. I mean, yeah, it was just, it was to me to see black excellence like that. I just, it set the bar for me. And now even my young ladies that I encounter, I mean, I'm at a predominantly uh, uh, white Christian university, but I tell my students all the time, there is nothing like an HBCU, nothing, definitely nothing like FAMU. You see, you know, you, you get out into the world and you get to see that young man, you know, growing up, I grew up in Plant City. They not walk around in suits. Let somebody died or they got a court date. <laughs> <laughs> you went to both. Unless they died or got a court date. Time they you know, or, or, or if you're going to church, you promised your grandma you was going to go to church this Sunday. So for me to see that many young black men in suits on a regular school day, it just enamored me. And that was my favorite time. And it wasn't necessarily because, you know, I was trying to get at them. I just thought that was a wonderful thing to, think, to, thing to see. I think young women need to see that. I think young men need to see that. Like, especially in light of what we see culturally, you don't see that. That is not what they broadcast. So to see that and to be standing in it. I mean, I remember I called my cousin. I was like, oh, my God, you didn't tell me. <laughs> and she knew. When I told her, she said, oh, you must be watching the lid out. <laughs> she knew what I was talking about and I just that just I mean that is that is top tier it is number one above pledge and above everything it is my number one favorite experience on the hill was was SBI let <laughs> oh so, so, yes, I, I, so I hear pledging so you pledged while you was on the hill yes sir I did I'm a member of State to Five Basis Sorority Incorporated you know, the gorgeous you know, my alpha chapter there 
at Florida. <laughs> Let me say it right. I'm 10 years removed now. Mighty. 10 years oh. in the game. Oh, Lord. I don't, wanna, the game. I don't even want to tell you how many <laughs> years removed I'm. <laughs> well, my mama, my mama played spring 88, so. Hey, yeah, I played spring of 1984. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes, sir. The, the one and only Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I, I tell you. So what makes you come alive? You're involved in so many things from music to production. But what is it that is your passion that really makes Courtney come alive? I think that all of it is contained in evangelism. I was telling my sister this earlier today. Um, I believe the Lord gives us creative ability to compel people to come to Christ. And I realized, you know, I would say probably way back when you first met me when I was 19, you know, at Watson, I realized that evangelism was at the core of who I was. I really wanted to compel people to come to Christ, whether that was for the first time or just to come to know Christ in a way that they did not know him. And I found that as I began to get closer to him, I saw all the things that you listed that I do at the core of those things. They're all driven by evangelism. I produce music in order to compel people to come to Christ, the stuff that I do for myself. But when I produce music for clients, I get to have conversations in rooms with people that other people may never get into, you know, because of my ability to create music um, with writing, with helping people write their books. You know, I'm able to get a voice out. People, so many people come to me and say, the Lord told me to write a book. And they have hardly nothing. You know, <laughs> they don't know where to start. <laughs> or they have something and it's, and it's poorly written. You know, and I love my clients and, and, and I tell them like, this is, this is hard. I do a lot of ghostwriting when I end up with my clients because, <laughs> you know, but the Lord has given me a gift. And at the bottom of that is evangelism. Like it is a passion to help people get their message out because we don't reach the same people. Your crowd is not my crowd. It's not the True. next person's crowd. So I feel like any way I can help people get their message out is evangelism. I may be behind the scenes doing it, but helping other people compel people to come to Christ. So I would definitely say like the passion, the thing that drives me is evangelism, not being deep. I just realized that was who I was when I was 19. Like, okay, this is who I am. So how do I take that and, and incorporate it with my youth and, and, and live? <laughs> wow. So do you see your book, Five Things I Wish I Knew About God When I Was a Kid, an evangelistic mm -hmm. tool? If so, how? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think we make the assumption, especially when I became a mother. And my mom used to say, you know, just keep on waking up saying good morning and wait till you have your own children. <laughs> and grandma <laughs> and said, keep on living, baby. Keep on living. <laughs> yes, sir. I understand now because um, the mother made me different. It made me think about things. You know, our children are sponges. They soak everything up, especially now in this age of technology. They know I do everything on the iPad. Like, I'm like, my baby couldn't read me because like on the iPad. Hey, how can you not read? It's not, it wasn't adding up to me. I told, you know, my sister, the math is not math. And like, somebody got to know how to read to swipe because there's nothing. <laughs> so hey. I realized, yes, sir. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I realized that, you know, are capable of comprehending much more than we give them credit for. And as I was thinking, the book actually was going to be uh, 10 things I wish I knew about. No, it was the first one was 12 things I wish I knew about God 12 years ago. And the more I prayed about it, I was like, I just need five. And, you know, and maybe it may turn into a series. I'm not sure. But five things. What are the top five things I wish I knew about God 
when I was a kid that people thought I was too young to know that I really wasn't, you know, things that I had to unlearn when I got older, you know, I wish I had known these things when I was smaller. So, yeah. So, so when you, when you look at that and you said you had to unlearn a lot of things, uh, do you put it on those who are teaching to be able to communicate effectively um, to young people? In a way, yes. <laughs> so, I'm talking about I, myself because I'm up there. I'm yo, trying listen, to... I, I try not to. I try not to be. You know, they say I'm a five starter. <laughs> um, I do believe that. I believe that we ought to be competent teachers, and in order to be competent teachers, we've got to go beyond what we were taught. Um, that's something I stand on. You know, it's one thing to be taught for for what we know about scripture to be passed down, but at some point, that's got to become real to you. And you've got to build upon that foundation. And I think sometimes somewhere like even today in, in, in the general state of the church where we've gotten lost is that there was a generation that stopped studying. And so now you're trying to pick it back up and we making up for decades of biblical illiteracy. Hmm. And so for me with the book, it was <laughs> me thinking, how do I correct that? Because it frustrates me. Like, how do I correct biblical illiteracy? Well, we got to start teaching these kids. We've got to teach these kids. And teach them things that grown-ups are just discovering now so if you go through my book like I, and it's the first book i did with emojis but um i try to do it like a, like a journal and i taught them things that i don't think you know as i pray i don't think they're too intense like what exegesis and eisegesis are the only yeah. reason that we assume kids don't know what that is it's because we don't tell them we don't tell them what that is, but but we'll right. tell them how we feel and what we think, but we won't exegete the scripture. We take text out of right. context, make pretexts, and throw in a, yeah! And you know what's funny? Kids remember the hollering. Mm. They remember what you say. And so I was like, okay, God, I believe that if we start teaching them about exegesis and eisegesis, and I put in a book and make it definitions, this is, what, this is how they learn in school. Yeah. Why can't we begin to take theology, take scripture, and do the same thing? Imagine how powerful our children will be <laughs> when oh, yeah. they become teenagers, you yeah. know, and they know this stuff. <laughs> and they might, they, they might stay out of trouble a little bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> they'll have, it'll grab their attention. And I, and I that was something else, one of my, motiv my motivations for writing a book um, and using it as a tool of evangelism is how do you make God sound cool? Because God is cool. You know, you read scripture, God is a cool cat to me. Like, and he got a he, sense of humor too, boy. He got a sense of humor. He's funny. You know what I'm saying? He uh he's a man of his word. You know, his reputation precedes him. These are things that kids admire in rappers. The same qualities that they see in rappers. I was like, how can I make them see God like that? God is cool. You know, God is funny. God will let you do, you know, do your little thing too. Yeah. Now it's gonna come at a price. Oh yes, sir. Yes, but, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I was like, "Can I get a witness?" Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but it was me wanting them to see God as you know, as a real father, not as this deity that's way up in the sky looking down at you, judging everything you do. Like you know, because their music doesn't tell them that. You know, their music gives them freedom, and we know because as believers that Scripture says there's freedom and liberty in Christ. So for me. I wanted to use the book to give children freedom. You know, they they come here with freedom. We come here with freedom as, as children. And then we are grafted into this world and we lose our innocence. So part of my, 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 my motivation for writing the book is helping them maintain that innocence while also introducing them to the God who gave it to them, mm -hmm. you know? 
That's it. So, and so, and I, and I love this. <clears throat> five, five things. God cannot be manipulated by my prayers. God is more concerned with who I am than what I do. God does not view death how we view it. God loves using chaos. Now, that one, as a catalyst for change, we won't talk about that one. God, <laughs> God exposes idols in my life, but it's my job to get rid of them. Those are the five things in my guest, uh, Courtney's book that we're talking about today. Talk to me a bit about number one, because you know, God cannot be manipulated by my prayers. You know, we pray all the time. Mm-hmm. Asking it shall yeah. be given. Seeking it shall be yes, knocking it shall be open. I <laughs> Cause we think, you know, we just I, um, talk about that chapter. Because <laughs> we think we just think we gonna move God like like He's a, yeah. a butler, good. like He's yes, my man. Uh, can you, uh, ring a bell? Uh, can you get this for mm-hmm. me? Uh, different, mo- like he's different. Mo- <laughs> he different. He Alfred. God is not Alfred, and God is not Jeffrey. <laughs> not who he is. And you know, you know. One that I didn't write, but it'll probably be in my next one is uh about you know we can't manipulate God with fasting. <laughs> fasting <laughs> is not you know, but that was why I wrote about chapter one. One thing I realized is as I looked over my life, things I prayed for, we I, I, in my in my doctoral program I studied more injury, more injury. A lot of people think only applies to soldiers, which is where they go to war and they're asked to do something that. Uh, fights against what they morally believe is is wrong. Like if they ask to kill a child or ask to kill a, 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 a woman or anything like that. But everyday people walk around with moral injury. Everyday people. Everyday people walk around with post-traumatic stress. Well, and I'm not downplaying the effects of it on, on, on uh, soldiers, but life is a war. Life is a war. And we are all soldiers in, 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 the, in the battle of life. And you got to fight for one or two kingdoms, you know, like that, that scripture is even written that way. And so when you look at it, you know, it was me understanding that most of my trauma was in prayers that I felt like God didn't answer. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that it wasn't that God didn't answer him. It was that I was trying to manipulate God with what I asked. You know, my grandmama was sick. I asked God to keep her healed. You know, ask God to heal her. You know, if I, or, you know, my favorite one, you bargain with God. We bargain with God and pray, God, if you give me this. Oh, if you then give I me won't Lord, do this. Hey, that was that, 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 hey, that, 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 that goes with me. Uh, chapter four using chaos as a catalyst. God, if you if you just woo, let me get over this hangover, Lord, I ain't gonna never drink no more. Never do it again. <laughs> and we know we love it. No, you're not telling the Lord the truth. But we barter, we pray, and we ask God. We try to manipulate God. And I don't let me let me make sure, you know, for people who may not know me, I don't I don't mean that. People are intentionally manipulative toward God. In the chapter, what I'm talking about is things that we don't even know are forms of manipulation. The way that we try to, you know, usurp our will over what what the will of God is. Like when people are sick, we immediately begin to ask God for healing without first asking him what his will is. Um, And that was something that I wrote that chapter because I had that happen to me with one of my line sisters. Her mom was sick a few years ago. It was been quite a few few years ago. And uh, she called. She had a heart attack. She called me and one of my other line sisters and she asked me to pray. And when I got ready to pray, I paused. And the Lord said, pray for peace. I would have to heal her mother. 
but I prayed for peace and her mother ended up passing away. And I was glad I was obedient in that moment because I could have easily tried to say, okay, God, this girl ain't never asked you for nothing before. You know, she's hysterical. Hear her cries and heal her mother. But you know, even that when we as it can be proven, this chapter can be proven by when we ask God to heal people and they still pass. It's proved that, you know, he did heal them. Just not the way that we thought. So it is us understanding God in a way. Yes, sir. Go ahead. No, I concur with that because I had prayed for people and prayed for people and they got healed and got on their way. My mama got sick, got cancer. I prayed for my mama and she died. Oh, I was hot. Mm. I was hot. But after after really focusing in and settling down and then having a conversation with God, he dropped one word on me that has stuck with me the whole time. And he said, mm. I'm sovereign. That's so, I knew that's what he said. <laughs> We've all been a that's the one. That's all that's all he has to say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I stepped back and then I began to look at it. And like you just said, I did heal her, but not the way you wanted me to. And so that so I I, I concur with you one hundred percent. That's real world. And and, and I've I've lived it. So yeah, um so talk about chaos as a catalyst mm-hmm. for change. Chapter I four. mean you look you look in scripture everywhere we look and I and I, I do believe in chapter four I begin to use I use stories like Jonah and uh, I believe I use David. P, um Moses. People are born to chaotic situations. Moses was born into a chaotic situation. Jesus was born into a chaotic situation. And I think that we assume that that you know because we we take scripture and we say God is not the author of confusion. He's not. But the Lord often has used chaos. And there's a difference between chaos and confusion. Confusion is a state of, you know, not knowing. Just things are up in arms. Chaos is just they seem to be. It's, you look at uh, one of my favorite stories is when uh, when Jesus is um, walking to the disciples on the water. That storm was chaotic. There was they made they were bewildered. But the storm was just chaotic. It wasn't a confusing storm. Jesus had already said, them, we, you know, um, and, and then you look at when he's walking across the water, they said one, only one of them said, they saying it's a ghost. And Peter was like, if that's you, God, tell me, come out there. <laughs> tell me, come on out there. And, yeah, and he's got the experience that nobody, he walked on water. Nobody else. Because he was able to see that it wasn't a confusing situation. It was just chaotic. Even when Jesus was on the ship with them, and he said, we're going to go to the other side. And then the storm comes. They are confused. Human nature is confusion. Jesus is like, I already said we was going to the other side. He down there asleep. They mad. And he told them, you know, he told them they didn't have no faith. And then he went out there and he just spoke to the chaos. And they're like, well, what matter? What kind of man is man this? this? <laughs> what, type of, what type of dude is he? <laughs> you know, the kids today, my college kids say, what type of time he on? <laughs> You know, he come out here like he just say, just you know, peace be still, and yeah. he just go back, and, and and it's like, and so I really love how God uses what we view as chaos, um, steer us in our lives. You think about all the time. You think about some of the greatest seasons of growth in your life have come after some chaotic happen. Oh, most and it don't definitely. have to be. You get what I'm saying? Like. It, it can be, you know, especially after we lose your loved one. That's a chaotic time in our lives. Depending on what age you are, when they pass, depending on who it is that passes, you know, your life seems to be in, be in utter chaos. And then here comes growth. You know, here comes the Lord. Some of your greatest breakthroughs have been when you ain't have nothing. 
some of the greatest things that you've accomplished in your life have been when you didn't have no money, you didn't have no resources, but some type of way in all that chaos, you know, you were mentally going through this or mentally battling things and you were the greatest version of yourself in those moments. So it's me realizing like, you know, God gets gold out of us when, when he puts us in those chaotic situations because he, know, he knows who we are. We just don't. Mm-hmm. who we are he already knows who we are so when he puts us in those chaotic situations what we have to realize is that who we really are comes to the top and it could be good or bad good or bad <laughs> he already know he puts you in that to allow you to know who you are and where you are I say, oh, right. i got i gotta step it up a little bit gotta step it up a little bit where can my listening audience get a copy of your book and find out more money. about you on Amazon, uh, Amazon.com. If you just type in five things I wish I knew, or five things really it may come up, should come up with that. I think it's one of my keywords that I use, but five things I wish I knew about God when I was a kid. Or they can just type in my name, Courtney Chapman Buford. I had a website, I took it down. I'll be putting it back up. <laughs> um, I had a website, uh, but I am into like most people see me in person or they contact me on Facebook. If you want to get me, you get my Facebook. Uh, my Facebook handle is CCL Buford, C E C E L, as in Lima Buford. Um, if you go to facebook.com slash CCL Buford, but Facebook is a really good way to get a hold of me. You can inbox me and, and I will respond. Um, so yeah, that's where that's where you can get the book. So, what do you want the readers to come away with or walk away with after reading this? And who is your primary target audience for this book? I'll answer the second part first. I believe in the book I write, you know, whether you're 12 or 102, um, we're all kids at heart. There's a a child in us that never dies. Um, And so my book is written to people who are either in their youthful stages of life or are in a place where they feel like there are things they missed when they were children and trying to pick up the pieces. Now that I found in adulthood is a lot like what I missed is like, you know, I'm, I'm still grieving from when I was seven years old when I'm grieving, you know? And so my book is aimed at adults who are that type of child, but it's also aimed at children who are really like, okay, I'm in church all the time. or I don't even know nothing about God. What's this God guy about? I feel like the five things that I gave are the best starting point because even children, even kids who don't necessarily have a relationship with God, the five things that I named are things that they do anyhow, things that they struggle with. They struggle with death. They struggle with prayer. These are things that they they struggle with chaos. These are things that I know in everyday life they're, excuse me, they're going to encounter. And so what I tried to do, was reach that audience of kids who just people who are lost, just looking for God, and maybe they don't get him in the King James version, you know. <laughs> maybe they don't get him in the NIV, you know. They don't. Like, they don't yeah. understand the King's English. <laughs> yeah, you know. But some of them, you know, or they they don't want to hear it from their pastor. They don't want to hear it from their mom and from their dad, their grandmama. They 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 want to hear it from somebody else who they can relate to, to know it's real. Um, so I would say that was who my audience was. And uh, can you repeat? What, the, what the do you second? want them to walk away with after reading your I book? want, that's what I thought you said. I just had to make sure you <laughs> journalist, journalist, journalist in me. What did you clarify for me, please? You can uh, clarify, yes. I really, <laughs> I really want people to walk away knowing that God is tangible. If you can, if people can feel God is tangible, they'll talk to him. 
I think 90% of people who don't talk to God is because they feel like God is not tangible. They can't touch him. They can't feel him. They feel like God is not interested in their issues. So when you write, we know that, that even my chapters are geared toward that. You can't manipulate God with your prayers. God does want to hear what you have to say. And God wants you to tell you tell him how you feel honestly. This whole putting on a charade and going in front of God when you get cleaned up, that's not, God can't fix who you want to expose. Go to him dirty. Like, like you got to, they want, I want them to have a tangible God. You know, go to God when you're in chaos and tell God how this chaos makes you feel. You already thought it, anyhow. He already know. My brother, just just get on the couch and talk to him. He already know. He wants you oh to say goodness. something. You're my Bible study now. I tell my young people here at the college all the time. I ain't listen. Like they be like, "Well, I be smoking." Let me tell you something. Do you think the Lord's ears are closed? <laughs> then I go to the Bible on them, and I say, "Uh," and I talk to them. You know. Um, about the promise of the Lord. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. You know, well, is the Lord going to, is, is God going to hear me? Like, I just feel like when my heart be broken, or I be feeling the way, you know what I'm saying? Like my heart be dirty and he don't want me. God is near to those of a broken spirit. And they look at me, but you know what's funny? It gets their attention. They're yes. like, what? I said, God cares when your heart is broken. And God is, what do you think? God is more concerned about you being politically correct when you talk to him or he's concerned about you just having a wherewithal to come talk to him instead of going to what you would normally go to. You know, like God wants that. God, and I told, I had to share with him. I said, I know pastors who got delivered. They were smoking weed when they got delivered. They was drinking when they got delivered. <laughs> like things that they was going, going, getting ready to pull up on somebody and got delivered on the way. Like I said, but these are things that are in scripture. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I want people to know that God is tangible and he is in any moment you find yourself in. It's never, you can't, it's, there's never a moment you can't invite God into. Mm. Like, and I just think that, you know, legalism, traditionalism, all that bad doctrine, erroneous theology, it's put us in a place, put a generation in a place, a generation that we feel is lost, but they really looking for God. You know, looking all that God. stage burning and stuff, they want God. They want it. <laughs> They, they just don't know it. how to get they and so they, they and you know what I like, you know. Let me just say this. <laughs> they hungry for God because they, they wouldn't attract anything. Like, and I'm like, see, we yeah, they just I just got to get I got to get the and they want the power. That's what you see. You know, I'm looking like God, they want authority, they want power, they want to see this thing. Like it's so right. We all about revival. It's out there, they want it. But we too busy talking about we y'all burning sage and we I ain't got time to tell you where you're going. Come here. I'm gonna tell you, you trying to burn the sage to get there. Let me tell you how you get the faster. Let me tell you get faster. <laughs> yeah, let me let me show you how you get quicker results. You know, okay. like because these they're results driven, but I believe that's a God thing. This generation being results driven is a God thing. They are a generation that's meant to manifest. The gifts of the Lord in the earth. So hey, we just have to take that. You're a pastor. You know that you take oh, that. Oh, I know. That, I, that's why I have a love and a passion <laughs> for the young folk. People, they think I'm crazy at the church. But I was like, y'all just don't understand. Now, I ain't trying to be young. I mean, I'm young at heart. I'm going to always be. You know, I cut my gray off every now and again. I can slip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but slide I mean, on it, in the door. slide on in there. <laughs> hey, throw on some nail. Mm. You know, I'll be all right. Yes, sir. <laughs> I know you get stole. Get out there and stole for three seconds. Knees go to, you know, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. So I tell you, this has truly been great. I I, I want to move to to a, a little bit of getting you to to inspire um some people and especially young women. 
what was your, and I'll call it God moment in your life when God truly became real to you? I will say, man, you all in my conversation with my sisters. <laughs> um, I told her the moment I knew God was real, real. And I, I grew up in church. I was 27 years old. Now, it's funny because I'm 34. I just turned 34. But I was 27. I had been serving the Lord my whole life, really, since I was like 19. I rededicated myself to the Lord when I went to Watson. Um, I was told when I was 19 years old that I couldn't have children. Um, I was raped when I was younger. And my fallopian tubes, they showed them to me. They were burned. They were burned so bad. They had put me on all this medicine and stuff. And I remember telling God, when I was 19, this wasn't my God moment. But I told him, you know, I ain't going to take this medicine. You say I'm going to have kids, I'm going to have kids. That's what I said. That's what I was taught. Fast forward, I'm 27. I got married. October the 3rd, <laughs> 2015. I went, I was in the in the in the ER at the end. It was the end of the month, the very end of the month. And uh, well, I wasn't feeling good at first. And so my ex-husband, you know, my husband at the time, he bought me some pregnancy test home. And I said, What's this for? <laughs> I felt like I had a cold. I asked him. I felt like I had him like, what's this for? He said, for your peace of mind. I don't need peace of mind. I can't have no kids. I ain't, you know. So he said, just, you know, just do it. Just oblige me. So I went, you know, and uh, put the test on the calendar. He said, you're not going to go read it. I know what it says. It says that I'm not pregnant. I don't know what this is about. <laughs> and long story short, I went in there and he said I was pregnant. He went in there. I'm sorry. And he said, I'm sorry. He walked out of the bathroom. He had this look on his face. <laughs> I said, why are you looking like that? <laughs> I went and did it again. I went on the second test. Yeah, I'm going to show you this. That's just wrong. <laughs> he came out again. He said, no, 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 no. This, this, they say the same thing the first one did. So I had a few issues internally. I still wasn't believing I was pregnant. I had a few issues. So we ended up at the hospital, and they did a blood test. And the doctor came, and he asked me, so are you sure? This is what the man said. This is my God moment. Are you sure you had, because I had been diagnosed with pelvic inflammatory disease, and it's a it's a disease where your fallopian tubes are scarred, sometimes irreversibly. They told me my, my fallopian tubes, they were irreversible. He asked me if I was sure I had it. I said, yeah, I saw it. That man held up this report, the, the thing, the ultrasound or whatever it is. My fallopian tubes look brand new. <laughs> Let me tell you something. As we, as we say in church, look at God. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that thing, and then you know how God works. It was crazy that the doctor actually ended up sharing his wife's testimony with me. He said, "My wife was kind of like you because they had diagnosed me with a subchorionic hemorrhage. Like I had, been, I was bleeding." And he said, uh, "They told my wife she couldn't have any children." He said, "But God said." <laughs> now I said, "What the odds that I'm 27 years old? This is what eight years later now, and I'm in a in a room and I get a doctor who's a believer, and he asked me, are you sure?'" had this and i'm like like i'm positive i saw them my mama saw them they started giving me medicine saying well we don't think we can reverse it and i said i stopped taking the medicine and i stopped worrying about it and i told every guy that i've dated i could not have children and so when i look at my son like i told my son i said let me tell you something you, the enemy can tell me anything don't work i've seen what the lord did in a body that wasn't taking medicine that wasn't you know, going to fertile, like going to um, um, fertility specialist. I had said, if if this was what God was going to do, this is what he was going to do. And I left it. 
And at the time when I said it, to be honest, it was a kind of religious statement. But when he did it, you know, I, and I, my girls ask me now, well, how can you, why do you serve God? Like some of the stuff in the Bible don't make sense. Some of this, don't, I said, let me tell you something. My body is my body. I know what was in my body. I know what was going on in my body. And I had a baby. And my baby was not only, he wasn't premature. I said, my son was eight pounds, 10 ounces, 23 and a half inches long. He was a big baby. At that, I said, God showed out to show me. <laughs> like, okay. So, you know, and I, and I told him, I said, the only person who could do that was God. I said, medicine. I said, it was impossible. Like, and I hadn't done anything. I said, you know, people could say, oh, your body healed itself. I said, it healed itself from what do you mean? <laughs> it just woke up and decided one day, oh, I don't have my fallopian tubes to look. You know, like, and I, I just knew that that was God. And my entire faith is hinged upon that. And I was fairly young to learn that. You know, you you already know how I go when you're young. You ain't thinking you're going to need the Lord for healing in your body. Oh, no, no young person. You're, you're immortal. Thinking. You're immortal when you're young. Yeah. You do push-ups and oh, run and boy. roll for four hours. Oh, <laughs> This stroll for four hours. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, yes, sir. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? You can stay up all night. All night long. Go you go to you go to you could go to you can get sleep one and one night every six days. Yeah. <laughs> eat eat what you want and go to sleep right on it, but not try that acid reflux and wake you up. Man, oh my God! See how your omeprazole is my friend. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you that stuff is real. Can't even lay down on flat. You got to have your pillow done. <laughs> No, I shouldn't have ate that pizza. Yeah, you, I'm t- listen, no tomato sauce or none of that. It's grapefruit juice. <laughs> but, you know, the things we take for granted, but that was my God moment. God showed me in my 20s, like, girl, I can do far more than you have ever imagined. And that really was what sent me into becoming, you know, what one of my little sisters would say, the theologian that I am today. I don't consider myself a theologian. Uh, <laughs> But she said that, you know, I, I just, I wanted the answers then. I said, okay, you know what, God, you've done this in my body. I want the answers. And I want when people to come ask me, when young people come ask me, I want to give them the answers. Not that I want to be you, God, but I want to be something that they don't have. Because I haven't, I've had to go and glean answers from different places. I want to be a place where they say, if I don't know nobody else who can break this down, I want her to be able to break it. You get what I'm saying? I know she can break it down. And I, that just that moment, I'm so grateful to God. That, you know, when I was going through it, I, I didn't understand. And I cried a lot. Like, when I was 19, like, really, God? You know, a lot of people don't know. That was why I stopped playing college ball. It was that. Um, because it was so bad. My abdomen was jacked up. I couldn't move. I was having, like, really, really intense pain. And that had been in there since I was, like, 12 years old, according to the doctors. And it went undetected all those years. And so it was for me, like, basketball and that was during my time in Tallahassee while I was training to try to play ball again like I, I couldn't play basketball stuff was being ripped away from me and I was like okay God what do you want me to do but my big God moment was that moment where he showed me this is this has been happening since you were 19 like and look at the past decade of your life and where I bought you to I bought you from that to this because you needed to be a mother but you needed to experience everything you experienced prior to now so you could really know this was really me and, yeah. and put you in a place to be able to minister to those young folk and be yes, real sir. and be yes, real. Sir. They see through it if you ain't. Oh, they'll see through it in a minute. Call it as we, I'm, you know, I'm a little older. They just say, back in my day, they say, I'm going to call you bluff. I don't know what they say today. But... Oh, now they call you the ox. You are ox. 
Yeah, you are up. You are. They say they say you are up. And if you real, they call you slime. You know, yes, that's my, that's my slime. So I'm they slime. You say slime. <laughs> I want to be a little slime to the young people too. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I am just enjoying this. Oh my goodness, we got to try to bring it to a close. I really love it. My guest today, uh, Courtney Chapman Buford, uh, talking about her book. Please go out to Amazon and get a copy of it. Get a copy for yourself, a copy for, copy for your friends, your family, and that young person in your life where they can really read this and learn five things I wish I knew about God when I was a kid. My final question for you, what matters most? To Courtney. Ooh, that's a loaded statement. What matters most in terms of what? I you know I, I, mean, I, <laughs> I, I you want you want to clarify. You want me to no, clarify. No. <clears throat> I, I can answer it. I'll, I'll say what matters most to me is legacy. I believe that there are many people who want to be great, want their names to be great, but why? Um, I I want to be known. You know, when they close the casket on me, whether I'm young or old. I want to be known as a person who compelled people to come to Christ. Not just in what I said, though. I want how I lived, how I made people laugh, how I made people juke, you know, <laughs> to, to the Lord's music, how I made people feel in moments where they felt like nobody listened to them. I want that, you know, my great my great aunt and my and my grandma they used to say, may the work I've done speak for me. That's an old hymn. I like it. And uh, yes, it. let the works I've done speak for and me. You know, when you when you write, when you're young, you don't understand it. Now I'm a little older. I'm not old, old, but I'm a little older, and I understand what they meant. May the life I live speak for me. May it be the words. Like may when people look back on who was Courtney, you know, looking at an obituary, understanding that I, I want my legacy to live on. Not that when they put me in the ground that you know a week passed and the chicken then, then got old and everybody moving on <laughs> but that <laughs> you know why why, why are you talking why are you talking about all the food they bring in the repast <laughs> yeah you know they bring the repast food and you don't have a good crime time at church and after a few days everybody back to life as normal and i i want people to to have my mind in books i i plan on writing a lot more books doing a lot more music because you leave that behind and people 20 and 30 years from now when you you're a media guy you know you put something in a book or in media it's accessible forever and so like my what matters most to me is me being that person being a person who influenced generations because i just i believe that that's what the lord created me for not for just plant city but every stop along my way plant city tallahassee oklahoma everywhere that i've been the Lord has put those stops on my way so I can influence generations. So what matters most to me is that I really actually do what he created me to do, what I was named to do, you know, that I actually do that, you know. And in closing, I'll say, uh, you know, in scripture, talk about Elisha. That's my ex-husband's name. His name is Elisha. But one of the tragedies about Elisha is that when he went in the ground, his, his bones was so anointed. That it was raising people around him. He went in the ground with power. I don't want to go in the ground with power. I want to go in the ground and be and, and everything that was in me. I want that. I want to have expelled all of that. I don't want to go in the ground with no residue because it can't live on a dead person. What good is it in the ground? Mm. So I don't. I don't want to go in the ground 
with what the Lord gave me to be potent here on earth with. I, I want to expire all my potency. <laughs> and uh, as, as the athletes say, I want to leave it all on the court and all on the field. I want to leave, yes, sir. I want to leave it all on the Lord's battlefield. <laughs> deep in the old people's uh, music, leave it in the Lord's battlefield. Mm. Mm. Wow. Courtney, this has been truly a pleasure and experience, and I say I have been challenged and informed myself, but more importantly, you truly inspired me. It is truly a pleasure to have you here, and I thank you for accepting my invitation to be a guest on Mr. Speaker Speaks. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, and when you write the next book and the next book and the next book, you got to debut them here on Mister Speaker Speak. You go everywhere yes, else, but I they got to debut. It'll be out. <laughs> they got to debut here. Yes, sir. It should be one out this summer. So I, I inbox you. I let you know. Just inbox. We got a debut right here. <laughs> I got you. All right. Well, everyone. You've been listening to Mister Speaker Speaks. You know it's the show that informs that challenges and it inspires it's real talk from real people about real things and as i get ready to close remember this you know life is all about purpose and the question becomes do you know yours remember in all that you do be magnificent and until next time be good be blessed but most of all be a blessing to someone